Amen. I must be so behind what's happening in the world. I didn't realize there was a Toy Story 4 coming out to you. I was so excited to hear that this morning. I don't know about you, but the day just got good and got better. Didn't it? Any Toy Story fans? Hasn't been a bad one yet. So good. And the conference. Excited about that too. So, hey, just Cheryl's not sales pitching this morning, just to let you know that we, the last time they announced the conference, it was our first one in 25 years since the vineyard was planted in Ireland, and uh, it's called Legacy for a reason. Um, but we got out of church, and we have a friend who's quite intense called Andy Masters. And um, you guys like a drink or a coffee or anything at the tables? Are you, are you okay? Cool. If you need anything, shout. We'll get you sorted. And so anyway, Andy Masters, he, um, he phones us up. Have you got your tickets yet? It's like we just announced it on Sunday morning. In fact, we didn't even announce it here. And, uh, and I said, Andy, it's like one o'clock. We're walking around half one or two. We're walking around Tesco's getting food. Relax. He said, like, it's over half. The tickets are gone already. So they just sold out within a week. So I want you to be there in your church, Dungannon. Um, not for the sake of selling tickets, but I just want you to be part of it. So do check that out. Is that all right? So we're in a series called uh, Redeeming Presence. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope it's uh, tooling you, equipping you, um, making you courageous wherever you go in your everyday ordinary. That's what it's about. It's being the redemptive presence. It's not actually us leaning into the presence in prayer. It's part of that, but it's actually about us engaging with culture, okay? So it's not something abstract that we're just going to pray about. It's actually us engaging in the fabric of society and everywhere we go and every place we go and all that we do. So we talked about being the church of Jesus Christ, what that really looks like, not a place you go to. Sometimes we play small. We think it's something that you can come, take a back seat. You can't, not according to the ancient scriptures. The ancient scriptures tells us that the word for church is the ida or the ecclesia. It means you're called out for a purpose. You're set apart for the purpose of mission and to bring the redemptive presence to God here and there. So it's not something we spectate in. It's not something that we join like an organization or a club or an interest group or anything like that. It's not something that's just good for your soul and good for your family. There's actually a movement with it. There's a, an action bias towards being a member of the family of God that we're called out on mission. And I love hearing the stories of how we engage here, near, and far. And um, yeah, way to, way to go. We're engaging in that. So let's keep doing that. Let's keep it front and center that we define church for what it really is and how it should really work here, near, and far. Then we talked about um, yeah, how the church brings the good flavors out in the earth and how God is redeeming things, how he's making all things new. I don't know if you remember, but the analogy of the two spaces the circles coming together, heaven and earth, uh, that God absorbs the, pay, absorbs the sin and he fills the space. And that means that he's making all things new. That's why we're in, able to engage in society. And it was a whole big conversation. You can pick that up online. We talked about prayerfully reimagining what our community looks like, what our world would look like, what are some of the things that upsets us, what are some of the things that frustrates us in society, whether that's poverty, whether that's misogyny, whether that's... Um, Racism or sectarianism, what are the things that upset us in a culture? Maybe it's just lack of, of economic uh, thriving in our community, in our towns. Those things should engage us emotionally and also cause us to be the church of Jesus Christ, that we engage with those things prayerfully and also practically. So it's a place and a space for us to go. Hope this makes sense. We talked about that includes personal repentance first. Often dreaming is dangerous because the dreams usually start within us and God changes some things in our hearts, some of our attitudes, some of our 
our thinking, some of our traditions. God changes our hearts when we start to dream because his dream's not political. His dream is not a sectarian. His dream is not racist. His dream is for every tribe and every family. And so it causes us to do some personal repentance. And then reconciliation, that word that we love. Reconciliation. And then also the outcome of that actually happens anyway. It's creating tables and spaces for friendship. That's what a redemptive presence looks like in the world. That we create tables and spaces for friendship. That everyone comes and everybody is welcome. Michelle did a great job. Unfortunately, I had to be in Liverpool on the 2nd of June. That was the night after the 1st of June, 2019, when Liverpool won the thick European Cup, if I've not yet mentioned it yet. Okay. There's four of us here. This is Sean, are you, Darwin? Your hand's not working. You were doing a golfer's clap, were you? So she talked about dangerous dreamers, how we live in Babylon, and then how I talked about how we engage respectively, we resist the culture values, but we sacrificially love all that good stuff that we talked about last week. We're up to date. You'll be glad to know. So I want to talk about politics today, if that's okay. And my prayer today is that this morning's talk will bring freedom to many, both to you as a family, here in Vineyard Church and Dungannon, but also that we, when we go out into our world, to our everyday ordinary, when we engage in the fabric of society, the, actually the, the ancient scriptures talk about being the fragrance of Jesus everywhere. When we carry the fragrance of Jesus, what does Jesus smell like? What does Jesus look like in your street, in your town, as we engage in politics? So I want to talk about politics, and it feels like there's been a constant political season, doesn't there, with Brexit? Who would imagine it would have went on and on and on and on? And then we are—we have been recently in local, in a local context, in council elections, and then we had the European elections, and now the news is flat out with the candidates for the next prime minister of the United Kingdom. Now that's good fun, isn't it? No, okay. So it just—it just seems like we're in a constant, constant conversation around politics. Um, and then the thing is that we need to be careful of it. Sometimes it's marked when we get into the political conversation, when we talk about politics, when we engage in it, when you watch it even on your TV screen, if you're detached from it, mostly detached, if you just don't engage at all with it, you can't but not see that some of it, a lot of it can be marked by fear. Fear in politics. That's how people get you to vote often. It's, it's lording over, not serving under. And real politics, and we'll talk about that in a moment, the politics of the kingdom. When Jesus came, he came to bring a different regime, a different political climate, a different way to govern the country. He served under, not over. You remember that? When the guys, the, 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 the guys wanted to get all political and they said to Jesus, hey, when are you going to restore the kingdom of heaven? When are you going to call fire down? And when are you going to get rid of these Romans? And when are we going to, when are we going to go to war? And Jesus says, hey, 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 have you forgot? And he brings out a towel and he starts to wash feet. And then he says, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he comes to serve. So it's an undercurrent. That's a kingdom value. It's an under rule. And it's where he gets down and he washes the feet of his disciples. We wash the feet of our world. And so often, politics is marked by fear is actually lording it over people. And then fear turns to anger, pretty much, and often. Have you experienced that? Ever in politics, anger? 
something upsets you. It could be a righteous anger, by the way, too, when something upsets you, and something get, when you look at the, when your life is lined up with the ancient scriptures, and then something goes against how you're how you're um, born again into the kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, then something should at times upset you, and it's good to have a righteous anger. But often it's also a really bad anger that people have when they go down the political road, and most definitely there's mistrust. We don't know what they believe, who to believe. Do we believe Boris? Who do we believe? Do we, you know, what's the story? You know, the cocaine sniffing? I don't know what. What do we actually believe? What politics do we engage in? So there's fear, there's mistrust, and there's often anger. So how does the church of Jesus Christ, how do we become the redemptive presence in our culture and in society? Let me begin by saying politics is a good thing. You may be surprised to hear me say that. Disclaimer, actually, before we go any further, I guess with a message like this, it would be good to give a disclaimer. As leaders of this house, Michelle and I, as leaders of this family, we talked a lot about family this morning, especially on Father's Day. Michelle and I are biased, just to let you know. We are biased. We are politically biased. You are politically biased. I can tell you how we are. We have a political fuse. We have a very strong political view, Michelle and I, and I want to tell you what they are so there's no confusion before we go into the conversation this morning. We are biased towards the voiceless. Always have been, always will be. We are biased towards those who have no voice. We want to be a voice for the voiceless in every generation. We want to be a family for all families and a tribe for all tribes. That's who we are. And that's how we lead this house. That's how we lead this family of God. We will always be a voice for the voiceless. Whether it's in India or Dungannon, or where, if it's for the refugees, if or whoever the tribe is who has no voice, we will be their voice. That's the cordon to the pattern of the ancient scriptures. That's the radical inclusion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The radical inclusion. You see, when you read the ancient scriptures, you can't get away from it. There's another Jew nor Greek, male nor female, rich or poor, slave or master. It's the all-inclusive radical gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that's what we're born into. That, my friends, is politics. It's political at the core and at the age. So Michelle and I want to be that family for every family, that tribe for every tribe. We want to be a voice towards the voiceless. Politics, the word actually, oh, just, just in case, we're also biased towards those who have no resources, in case you wondered. Those who have no resources. We believe that this planet, there should be enough for everyone. We believe that the gospel tells us to give of our resources, and if we have too much, then we give to each other. It's a mechanism of how the first church was actually set up. It wasn't communism. It wasn't socialism, it was gospel, it was kingdom living in society. For those who had nothing, they sold their possessions, they sold their land, they gave right to their, their birthright and their inheritance. They took that legal piece of paper that was stamped in blood, probably at that time there was a covenant in, in property. They took the property, they sold it, and with the resources of that they gave to those who had need. That's radical, isn't it? Yeah, that's the radical gospel of Jesus Christ. We're biased towards broken systems that are causing pain for people. We're biased towards deprivation among people. That's our bias. Hope that if you want to be part of this family, that you're happy with leaders with a bias towards the voiceless, those who have little in resources, and where the system doesn't work for the many. That's the gospel. 
That's our King Jesus. Politics is good because it comes from the word politicus. The the root word is actually, it's the affairs of the state of public life. So that's an okay thing. That's a good thing. The state and the affairs of public life. It's how we as citizens arrange our common life together. I want you to keep that in your head. How we arrange our common life together. Together. One family for all families. One tribe for all tribes. The common good for life together. So we need to make decisions and laws in a way that create a society where there's a common good for everyone. So I hear people saying, well, I'm not really into politics. I don't do politics. Um, Friends of mine often say it. uh, But you actually, unfortunately, you are involved in politics. You are involved. How many of you have running water in your home? Well, we are in Ballard. There's three people in this room today who have running water in their home. Well, Michelle and I are a voice for the voiceless. And uh, we want to make sure that by this time next week, you have running water. And so what we're going to do is we're going to Google get you a text up in a minute or two on the screen for Northern Ireland Water. Ashley, if you could make that happen, I don't know. Uh, so how, let's try that again just, for, just to make sure that we don't need to be disturbing Northern Ireland Water on a Sunday. How many of you got running water in your home? All right, that's okay. I do understand that once you get outside the 30 mile an hour zone in the Moy, that might be a problem. But, <laughs> or if you're out in Pomeroy there. I'll stop. How many of you got a bin? Now, let's be really radical. How many of you got bins? Colors. Three colors. Red and... No, not red. That's a kid's song, isn't it? Red and yellow and pink. Okay. So we got a brown bin, a blue bin, and a black bin. And, 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 and how many of you ever drove into an area where it says 30 mile an hour? Okay, let me try the guys here. How many of you ever got into a 60 mile an hour and kept it? Okay, I'll leave that with you too. Uh, so the, 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 the reasons that we've got 30 mile narstone stones, slow down, build up areas, children are playing schools crossing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What a team, what a team. Not just a speaker. So politics is our shared life together. You know, somebody, de- somebody makes the decisions for how much, how, how the water system functions and how it works, how clean it is, how much chlorine they put into the water, all those things, fluoride maybe, big, big questions over all those things. Those are, those are questions we're having day in, day out. You know, those are questions. And then they set a price for that. It's called your rates. And then they charge you for your bins going in and your bins going out. How many days a week your bins are lifted? Two weeks, every week and all that there. And every, every area is different, right? So that is politics and we are engaged in that. It's a fabric and it's for the good of everyone. So politics is for the common life, shared life together. When it's not working for everyone, then we need to pay attention. Are you with me? Shared life, the common life together. And so, therefore, when it's not, we need to pay attention. Again, politics is good when it works for everyone. But when it's not, we need to line our lives up with the ancient scriptures. And it's not hard to see. If you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a leaning towards the marginalized, the poor, and the voiceless. God is a bias towards the poor. Do you believe that? You read the Psalms, you read Proverbs, you read uh, the, 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 the Messianic prophet called Isaiah, you read his book, you read Leviticus through an understanding of the kingdom, you read, um, you read right through, and then Jesus has a political statement. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus made a political statement? It's called, most scholars will call it Jesus' manifesto. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount because that was just a place where he went to talk to his, his followers. 
So he met his followers, his inside gang, his, his tribe, his, his friends, and he gathered them. It wasn't for the benefit of all society at that stage. He met his inner circle, his cabinet, and he got them on a hillside, and he gave his manifesto. And within the manifesto, you can see God's heart for the poor and the voiceless and the marginalized. It's good political reading this morning. I encourage you to go back to Matthew chapter 5 and read how political Jesus is. We'll talk a bit more about how political Jesus is in just a minute. So when thousands are being left behind, you need to remember that again, that the family of God, the family of God on earth, the Edah, the Ecclesia, who are called out for purpose, the Edah, who was a tribe called out in freedom and for freedom, actually. It's an Exodus word. It's happened in Exodus. The first time you hear the word church in the ancient scriptures is the Edah in, in Exodus when God releases and frees his people. So when the people hear this word Edah, community, they always associate it with the word freedom. And that's what they're about. They're engaged in freedom bringing. So that's always been the story of the gospel. It's always been the story of the kingdom that we are people who are free and we also are a people who bring freedom to other people. So that's what it means to be uh, in the family of God. Do we become one family for every family and we are one tribe for every tribe? Are you with me? One family for every family, one tribe for every tribe. This is the most political statement that you'll see on the face of the earth today. Have a look around the room. Look to your left, look to your right. What we're doing here, this is politicos. This is political. We are sitting here together, many of us who are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, through Jesus Christ of Nazareth, all from different social economic backgrounds, but yet in unity, sitting in a black chair today, demonstrating to the world that we are one family for every family and we are one tribe for every tribe. Your statement today is a political statement. I got a little excited there. I'm passionate about Jesus and his church and kingdom politics. So what I want us to do this morning, this is a message. It's not to disrupt for the sake of it. It might disrupt and that's okay. It might upset, but that's okay. Because sometimes you need to upset to reset the thinking in our culture. Sometimes we need to upset to reset the culture. Sometimes we need to upset to reset what biblical Christianity looks like. Sometimes we need to bring Christianity back into Christian. Or Christian back into Christianity. That would be a better way to do it. The job of the church from Constantine was to bring Christian back into Christianity. And that's what we have to do. So what I want us to do, I want to invite us to be the prophetic voice. Well, that sounds very spiritual. Well, prophetic voice means the voice that has the age. The voice that encourages. The voice that declares. The voice that enlarges the country and the communities to flourish. We want to be a a prophetic voice. People in society that stay in it and they cause it to work, not for the minority even, not for the majority even, but we try and make it work for everyone, not just the privileged. It's the voice of the church is doing on the earth. Yeah? So you can't get out of it. You can't get out of it. So we have a democratic system where our main concern is that we get the person with the most votes into the right position. The early Christians didn't have this mindset at all. So how our politics work is it was democratic. They didn't have a democratic system even back in first century. Um, so what we like to see is who gets the most votes. But what happens is in Christian culture, in the first century Judean Christian, when they were in and out of the system, and when they were in, a, sorry, in and about the system, in and around society, what they did is they weren't so much concerned about how many votes a person got. What they were, in fact, preoccupied was about how the person was working when they got into the place of power. 
How they engaged in society. What did they do when they got their votes? How did they engage with their power? Were they fair? Can I just have your attention? It's just kids walking out to my left. What I have to say is really important this morning. What they did is they held the mirror up. They held the mirror up. When those who got into the power, they said, hey, what are you doing? You're, 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 you're taking advantage of the, of the disadvantage. You're taking advantage of the marginalized. So they would hold, the early Christian had not got a democratic thinking, but they had a more holistic value in thinking of what are you going to do when you're there? And so we look around today and you go into Facebook or Twitter or Instagram even. You go into uh, most social-based um, platforms and you see that it's mainly social media that holds the mirror up to our politicians today. But I want to tell you, as the church of Jesus Christ, our job through the ancient scriptures, through the lens of the kingdom of God, it's the job of Christian, Christ in you, follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, to hold the mirror up to those who are in power. That's your job. You're to speak on behalf of those who are voiceless. Proverbs is really radical. It scares the life out of me. God says he will lend to those who lend to the poor. And then he also says that he closes his ears to those who hold, close their ears towards the poor. That frightens me a little. I don't know about you, but those are the sort of things that keep me awake at night. You know, you just can't say, well, this is, this is the way I'm doing. This is for me and my family. This is the way we're doing life. We're, we're okay, Jack. Everybody else is whatever, you know. This is, this is how, you, see, this is the problem with our modern Western culture. Like I said last week, that we have the mindset of me. And outside of that, in Asia and other cultures, they have the we, the tribe. And so, but we need to live beyond the me and the we. We need to live for the other. Because that's the message of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So political vision of God's redemptive presence here on earth is to hold the power controllers to account. Like advocating on those, of those who are being mistreated. When it's not working. When people in Ben Burb and Pomeroy have no running water and we have running water here in Dungannon. It's our job to speak up. Doing okay? You sure? Okay, so the gospel has a political age. That was just my intro. The gospel has a political age. Let's talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? I just want to throw it at you this morning just to get you relaxed and encouraged and get you thinking. What, is, what does the word gospel mean to you? What is it, what is it, what's the picture that it paints? Tell me, what does it mean to you? Come on, talk to me. Good news, yeah, perfect, brilliant. It's good news. It's good news of what? Tell me good news of, it's just good news, good news of Liverpool won the league. What kind of good news is it? I'm serious, what kind of good news is it? Just, pardon? David? Ah, oh, no, you're cheating. So, yeah, it's good news of the kingdom of God. What does that look like? What does that look like? It has to look like something. Needs the broken mat. Brilliant, brilliant, yeah. yeah. How, do you, how do you get this good news? How, is it open for everybody, anybody? Is it through Jesus? Yeah, it's good news. It's freedom. It's the good news of the kingdom. It's, it's freedom. It's through Jesus, yeah. Yeah, salvation. Eternal life. Yeah, those are all good things. And those are things that are correct. Now, can I tilt your head just a little bit? Correct? Yes. Amen? 100%. But to a first century Judean living in occupied Palestine, when he heard the word gospel, he heard the word evangelio, or euangelio, 
When he heard that word, it was a political charge word. It was a military word. It meant your rightful king is here. The rightful king is here. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is here. The Messiah is here. The rightful king is here. It was a very military word. And so when we come across my favorite text in, in ancient scripture, just one verse, Matthew, or sorry, Mark 1.15, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Change your mind. Change your thinking because your rightful king is here. The good news is your rightful ruler has come. Living pre, uh, living in a, sorry, as a Judean, living in a Palestine, a pre who that was occupied by Roman forces. When you heard this, what you heard was a very military word, a very, wow, political word. You heard, hey, good news to everyone. Your rightful ruler has come. The rightful ruler has come and his name is King Jesus. And people got excited and gave their lives to this cause and to this king. It was radical. So can you imagine living in a city under siege? Okay? You're living in a city under siege, and then you hear the sound of horses, chariots coming. What happened, what's happening is that Caesar is arriving with his entourage, and he breaks through the city walls or the city gates, and he brings freedom uh, and, and, and a, a, a realistic and a, a practical freedom to all the citizens of that town. And what you would hear throughout that community, throughout that, you would hear chants and roars of good news, good news, evangelio, evangelio, the gospel, the good news, the rightful king has come, we are free. Now let that fuel your imagination just for a minute. Evangelio, the rightful king has come. Jesus has come. See, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling, ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Recognition. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. There's a lot in this story. You know why Nicodemus came at night? Because he wanted to remain private. He was a man who held political authority in the synagogue. He was a man who held clout. He was well known. He, was a, he wasn't just a, a small man coming in at night trying to find Jesus so he could get time alone with Jesus because Jesus was too busy during the day. No, this was all about his, his appearance. This was all about his reputation. <laughs> This is all about his reputation. So don't, don't, don't think that he just was really clever and he wanted to spend more quality time with Jesus. No, no. He wanted his belief system, his political system to remain secret and quiet because if he had have caught up with this Jesus who everyone knew was now becoming the rightful king, this new political leader who was going to be a king for all the people, the kingdom was for everyone, then he was attaching himself to it. If anybody had a saw Nicodemus having the conversation with Jesus, they would have said, you're a traitor. You're a traitor. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Whose head's on the coin? Caesar. And so therefore he comes to Jesus and then he hears Jesus saying to him, you must be born again. You must be born again. He's hearing, you came to me in secret. Now, Nicodemus. And this is a message for everyone. This is what we need to hear that the gospel is big, not small here in Northern Ireland. He's, well, this is what he's saying to Nicodemus. You came here by secret, in secret. Now you must be born again into my kingdom. Die to the old traditions and be born into my public life. 
the public life of Jesus. And the public way of Jesus. So when Jesus talks about gospel, he's saying to believe in me is to have allegiance to me and my kingdom only. When Jesus said God's kingdom was coming, that pronouncement was dangerous as it was hopeful. Do you get it? It's dangerous as it is hopeful all at the same time. And we, 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 we make it small. Those things that we mentioned this morning are beautiful and right and godly and theologically correct and doctrinally airtight. The only way to Jesus, the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ the Lord. That's what the ancient scriptures tell me, okay? That we will have eternal life with Jesus. It's not pie in the sky. It's here on the earth. He's coming into the neighborhood. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about nationhood. It's always about neighborhood. That's why Jesus tells us to love our neighbors, not our nations. So, Jesus is coming. He makes his pronouncement. And that's why it's dangerous as well. It's hopeful. It's much bigger than us saying a prayer, waiting until we die and going to heaven. It's actually that we give our allegiance to Jesus Christ, Messiah only. Where is your allegiance today? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Messiah. See, you can't, err, you can't, you can't split it up like a cake. This is my political life. This is my educational life. This is my sex life. This is my going out having fun life. This is my recreational life. This is my, and here's my God life. No, that doesn't work like that. In him we live and move and have our being. What does that mean? It means you live in Christ. Your identity is set in Christ. Your way of life is formed around Christ and Christ's ways. So your allegiance is to him and to him only. God's kingdom coming meant something else had to go. Something else had to go. When the kingdom comes in, something else has to step aside. All their kingdoms must bow down. All their kingdoms must go. The kingdoms of this earth become the kingdoms of God. Are you with me? So all their kingdoms must go. There's a brilliant writer. Man, this is true today for 2,000 years ago as it was right then when it was written, when the gospel proclamation was written. Listen to this here. There's a guy called Brian Sand. This is a beautiful quote came across recently in the last couple of weeks. It says this. I think I have it up here. Perceiving the kingdom of God as an actual political reality. It's a, sorry, it's an actual political reality. It's a game changer. Once you see that Jesus has his own political agenda, his own agenda for arranging human society, his own criteria for judging nations, then it is possible, then it is possible to give your heart and soul to the power-based, one-at-all-cost, partisan politics that we call for our legions. Unfortunately, what I've learned through bitter experience is that a lot of people don't want the game changed. They want to win the game, not change the game. The kingdom of God demands our allegiance. That's how they operate. That's how it operates. Before we go any further this morning, let me ask you a question. What kingdom has your allegiance? What kingdom has your allegiance? Is it the kingdom of God or the small kingdoms? nationalism, greed. What has your allegiance? It's, it's, is there a more prophetic and destruct, disruptive statement in the 21st century in Northern Ireland than repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? Could there be? You with me? Could there be a more disruptive prophetic statement to the 21st century Northern Ireland than this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? I'm not sure if there is. If there is, I'm not sure what there could be or what there is out there. 
kingdom coming means other kingdoms going. See, Christ and his kingdom demands our allegiance above all else. Let me read some something for you here. You doing okay? Romans 8, 37 to 39. There's a list of things. It says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. That's a political word, a military word again. You can see it throughout the ancient scriptures. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? We just read a whole list of things there, right? A whole lot of list. A lot of lists. A lot of things there that none of these things can separate us from the love of God. The list we just read, it has one word that connects them all. Anybody want to have a guess of a word that we could use that would connect all the lists together? Just for the fun of it. There's one word. There's a pretty big list there. So there's angels, there's demons, there's present, there's future, there's powers, there's height, there's depth, there's anything. There's all creation, which is a pretty big statement. Um, what would what, what the one word that could join the dots that would accompany all these words, accompany all those words? What was the thing? Did anybody want to have a stab of just one word that would tie all these words together? Just w- love, great, but no. <laughs> Go ahead. God, somebody said God. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Go ahead, what was that? Two? Oh, very good, yeah, yeah, clever. Yeah, I see that hand. <coughs> Ashley, is he looking over your shoulder? <laughs> No, no, we don't applaud cheating in this church. We don't applaud bad behavior. Richard, your mother and father will talk to you. <laughs> you remember that bush? That what was that tree outside your house? No, uh-huh. Okay. Thank you, Richard, for leading me in gently there. The early Christians had a word for the mindset, and the word was called principality. Yeah, principality. And that's the word that connects us to all these words. And so when you hear the word principality, I grew up in a Pentecostal background, so when I heard the word principality, it was demons and ghosts and the evil things. They were principalities and powers. And then quite rightly, you would probably connect that because you read Ephesians 6, when it talks about the military battle, it talks about when we go to Ephesians 6, it tells us that we put on the armor of God. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Isn't that what it says? But... Here's the thing, okay? Here's, here's the quick learning in all of this. In Romans 8, are all the things in this list evil and dark forces? Can we put it back up, Ashley? Would you mind? Okay, so there's, there's, there's death and life. Okay, those are neither evil or good. Angels, good or bad? Angels, good or bad? Demons, good or bad? Bad. Yes, very bad. Um, any other powers? Yes, it could be Liverpool. Could be Facebook. Just powers, right? Right? Height or depth? It's just measurement. Just measurement. So what we need to realize is that principalities are not always evil. 
Principalities are not always a bad word. The, the, the early church had a, an imaginative mindset. They, they could imagine things. And so when they're saying this here, they're saying, oh, this is principalities. What's a principality? That would be good. To, don't be showing them, Ashley. A principality is a faceless power that influences our life. A, prince, a faceless power that influences our life. These early Christians, man, they had some wisdom, didn't they? Early, early literature, ancient, ancient scripture. They had some wisdom to offer us in the 21st century. So they said it was a faceless power. They're naming the faceless power. They're, they're giving name to it. Do you know what was, you remember when Jesus, you see, to give something a name, give it power. It give it power. And you actually, when you give something a name, it actually takes it out of the shadows and it names it. It brings it into the Do you remember when Jesus said to the demon, hey, you're not calling, I'm, you're not calling my name. Remember Jesus said, he said, you're Jesus. What are you doing here? Jesus answered and Jesus said, shut up. Jesus didn't give him the power to name him. But Jesus always asked to name the demon, didn't he? See the difference? That we're in control. And so, What's the faceless powers? What are the influences in our lives today? Shout them out to me. What are the faceless powers? What are the things that we should start to name? What are some of the influences, the principalities that have effect over our lives? We're talking politics in the kingdom sense, remember again. What are some of the things that, that are faceless powers that influence our lives today in the 21st century? Let me hear them. Go ahead. Social media? Selfish ambition, yeah. Big one. Yeah, racism, corruption. Tell me some other things that are faceless powers. Greed. What else? Capitalism. What else? This side of the room is very quiet. Envy. Socialism. Throwing their work. See how clever they are. Throwing the, throwing the sound over this side of it. That's very good. It's a smart, a smart side of the room. What, what was that word? Socialism? Yeah. So these are, in and of themselves, are they bad things? I mean, is Facebook a bad thing? Is it an evil power? Social media, is it an evil power? Can be, if it is. Eh? It is debatable. What do you do with it? It's what you do with it. If it, has a, if it is a faceless power that controls your life, then... It's not. It's not a good thing. So with shame, shame's a big one, isn't it? Shame. We live in a culture of, of shame. Anyism, capitalism. Anyism is a faceless power that influences our lives. Is there any isms that you know of? Hmm? Materialism, secularism, pluralism. All the isms are faceless powers. So be aware of any ideologies which demand more of your allegiance than they are due. Do you ever find that, that you get into things, the isms, and they're not really evil, but all of a sudden they, have a, they, get, they demand more than you ever thought that you would give them. They demand more of allegiance than you ever thought that they were due. It's not all demons and evil stuff or spiritual, but it's whatever, whatever that ism is, whatever that system is, you let the faceless power have too much control when, when something that you've created actually serves you. Something that you, I mean, it gets weird, even in our 21st century. I mean, it's not all demons. Like, have you ever gone back to a shop nowadays, um, like, something's broken, you take it to the till? 
just want to stretch your imagination here this morning. So for instance, a Hoover. Hoover is a brilliant brand because everybody calls every other brand a Hoover, which is not the brand. And if you were my age, you maybe got a chance to get a holiday to America out of the Hoover. Remember that? Uh, people from Lincoln Courts were all going to America. They're all going to Case Catalog, buying a Hoover, and getting the tickets to go to America. And then Hoover thought, hold on a minute, this dairy thing's a whole different world. We didn't imagine it would go this way. Okay, you can Google it for those of you who are thinking, what is he talking about? So, the Hoover's broke, you take it to the guy in the till. Okay, I'm not going to mention the store. Take it up to the guy and say, uh, here's the branded vacuum cleaner. And uh, it's not working. He doesn't engage with you, he goes to his till, checks the computer. Computer says, I can't do anything for you. It's like, what? It's like, mate. You're standing there, I'm standing here. We're having this conversation, and you're telling me that the system won't fix it, that the system won't do it. Yeah? No, it's a proper Pentecostal. Then you could conclude there's, could, can conclude there's a demon in the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and it's now a faceless power. It's a principality and a power, right? But that's a bit of an exaggeration to say that's a culture that we live in, that when systems that we create, that we created to serve us, like a, a functioning thing to work for us, right? When we buy something that should work for us, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work for us. When we've got this computer system, this software system that becomes a faceless power, I know I've really gone off the deep end, haven't I? But do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? It's not all demons and evil. It can be anything that was made to serve you. Now you're serving it. That's the faceless power. That's the political word. And therefore, we need to take account of our lives. Account of our lives. Are we people that want to go to Jesus at night or do we go to him in the daytime? Do we want to follow his way, his way which is public, his way that is a public way, which, which demands all of our allegiance? Do we want to live our lives like that or do we want to be like Nicodemus? And do we want to have our isms that, that have a little bit of power over us? So that makes us feel comfortable because that's the way we've always done it. And I think we need to ask ourselves those questions. What shapes our identity? Things have purpose and a place, but when, they, but when we come onto them, they get our allegiance. And then it starts to shape our identity. In Him we live and move and have our being. In Him we live and move and have our being. We need to put it back in its place. The church, us, you and me, we have to hold lightly what others hold tightly. To use a Brian Cummingsism. We need to learn as citizens of the kingdom of heaven to hold things lightly what our friends and family and co-workers who live outside the manifesto of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, those who live outside the kingdom and kingdom allegiance, we need to live our lives in such a way that we hold the things that they hold tightly, lightly. So we have to constantly put these kinds of principalities back in their rightful place. Do you know where the rightful place is? Let me tell you where it is. It's under his own feet and outside of our hearts. Are you with me? We need to put the isms, the isms, the principalities under his feet and outside our heart. 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 Under his feet and outside of our heart. God's kingdom both transcends the narrow black and white, the one or loose narrative, narrative 
that our modern politics give us. See, modern politics tells us to win at all costs. Losing is not an option. Yeah? It's black and white. Ah. It's narrow. But let me take us back as we conclude this, this morning. And if Stephen's here, would he join me? Acts 28, or sorry, Acts 17, verse 28. I want to invite you this morning to align your heart and offer your legion to him first. And it's the church of Jesus Christ who has the responsibility to carry the redemptive potential on her shoulders in the earth and throughout the earth. Can I call you as followers of Jesus? Those who are outside the kingdom, guys, these rules don't apply to you. I'm serious. See, what Christians often do is set the rules for everyone we're more lenient with ourselves. I've discovered that it's different. It's different. Jesus actually held a lot of the heavy stuff for those who were inside the kingdom. Yeah? Often. Nearly always. So I want to call you, if this is your home, if this is your family, if we want to be the redemptive presence here on earth, the Ida the ecclesia, who carries the freedom in our hearts, not just in our hearts, but in our hands also, and we offer it to all families and every tribe. We're one family for every family. Are you hearing me? We are one tribe for every tribe. And the scriptures tell us again, when Paul writes in Athens, he's in a very political situation. He's walking around the the political uh, culture of the day, and, and, and they have statues, and they have gods, little gods, and he's walking through them, and Paul's having a conversation. At the end of the conversation, he says this, for in him, remember, right in the age of Athens, in this culture, in this political giant of a place, he says this, for in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. It's identity, identity, identity. Being a Christian often means stepping away from the crowd. Guys, this is not democracy. This is theocracy. Theo is God. He gets it all. He gets it first. Are you with me? That's what it's about. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Have you heard that? So we think that's just something soft and easy and breezy and any other word that can rhyme with it. It's the soft music that's putting me in this cheesy position. (laughs) Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. When you take a step towards Jesus and his kingdom, in that moment, there's choices, and sometimes that means stepping away from from the isms. So take a step. Nicodemus, he came at night, but then we later find in the ancient scriptures that he did cross over the line, and he did line his line up publicly with the public way of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you read on into the book of Acts and the stoning of Stephen, a man who died for his faith publicly. In that moment, there's choice. Sometimes it means stepping away from. What is it you need to step away from this morning? What the, I'm serious, guys. 
if you want your community to thrive, if you want to take the redemptive potential seriously, what ism do you need to walk away from? What is it you need to lay down? What's the little gods that must be demolished? What's the things that you hold tightly that you need to give him a bit of loosen the grip on? What are the things that you need to place under his feet and outside of your heart this morning? The political implications of the gospel, the kingdom means stepping towards something. And you know what? That can actually unsettle and upset, unfortunately. When you step away from the lesser into the fuller, into what really has eternal significance, then it's worth it. Isn't it worth it? It's worth it. It's worth it. That's why I watch my friends step away from family. Family, see, we would... Family is an idol in our culture. It can become an idol. Did you ever think that? That's why some of my friends actually never get to see their family again. Because they've decided that Jesus would get their allegiance and that they would publicly follow hard after him. And that means that they can no longer return to the village that would take their life. Literally. That's why we meet friends and brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ of Nazareth who've walked out of Iran as doctors and surgeons and bankers, economists, and said yes to the way of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, leaving behind family and friends and allegiance and traditions because they have publicly given their allegiance to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And in him, they live in him they move and in him they have their being their very identity is reset in Jesus Christ of Nazareth the gospel is big isn't it it's political it's the one family for every family it's the one tribe from every tribe let's just pause this morning Stephen leads us in, in worship and let's lay down the idols lay down the idols and give him our full allegiance